We're in the midst of a series on the Ten Commandments. Um, and so if you're, if you're joining us, if you're new to the series or if you've missed a couple, I'm going to do a recap real quickly. But before we do that, I just want to make sure that I continually reiterate the fact that the Ten Commandments weren't God's first contact with people. He, he started this whole kind of, the Ten Commandments come down in Exodus chapter 20. That's the second book of the Bible. So, you know, just go all the way to the left and turn right until you find Exodus. And so in Exodus chapter 20, you see the Ten Commandments given. But before that, you see that God approaches the people of Israel and invites them into a covenant, invites them into a relationship where he would be their God and they would be a distinct people on all the earth, but not just because of their relationship with God. What we see in these commands is that they would also be a people who are distinct in the earth because of their relationships with one another. The first, uh, the first four commandments deal directly with our relationship with God. And then the last six commandments deal with our relationships with one another, which we talked about last week is actually just an overflow from our relationship with God. So if I try and relate to you well without relating to God well, I'm drawing from an empty well. Did I use the word well too many times? I'm drawing from an empty bucket if I, if I do that, right? But if I'm relating well with God, that gives me a well to draw from to relate well with you. <laughs> you with me? Did I do that well? Thank you. Boo. Um, so the people of this covenant would be distinct, not just because of their relationship with God, but because of their relationship with, with each other. And when you have these people walking in this covenant, in this agreement with God, it, it, you, you live differently and distinctly from everyone else. And God's idea was that people would look at his, the people of the covenant and, and they'd, they'd marvel and go, who are these people living differently than us, valuing different things than us, loving one another more than anybody else on the face of the earth? Everybody loves their kid, but who loves someone else? And so the first four commandments, let's, I want to, I want to, well, actually, let's go ahead and just recap the, uh, the first five. Because that's what we've covered so far. So we're, today we're going to be covering commands 6, 7, and 8. So we're going to fly through those commands. But let's review. The first commandment was what? Does anybody remember? No other gods. Because he's the creator. He's the deliverer. He's the provider. He rescued them from Egypt. And he's saying, as I've delivered you, as I've provided for you, as I've taken care of you, as I intend to bless you and intend to continue to care for you and protect you, I am, I should be the only one that you worship as God. For the same reason that no father wants his son calling someone else daddy. I have provided for you. I gave you life. Right? I take care of you. I'm training you. I've got things in mind for you that I can bring you into that nobody can bring you into but me. So don't call anybody else daddy. So second command. Anybody remember that one? No idols. Because a block of gold has never healed anyone from anything. It might have felt good in the moment. might have got you a whole lot of stuff, but it's never healed a single person. God's saying, don't look at these inanimate things, these things without power, and worship them and expect them to be able, and don't serve them because they can do nothing for you. It really is a great pairing to the first commandment. Anybody remember the third one? Lord's name in vain. This is kind of the boy cried wolf syndrome. Right? If we empty his name, when we call on his name for true power, we've already forgotten the power of it. 
So all the problem rests with us, not with God. But we get casual with his name. We don't call on his name. We don't trust his name. We don't honor his name. We don't, we don't hold him up. We talked about how it's not just saying God darn instead of the GD, right? We, we talked about how when we're talking about not taking the Lord's name in vain, it's making sure that we give weight and authority and power to God that he already deserves. It's just acknowledging that it's there. I know one time uh, we were doing a song that was like, Jesus be the center. And um, I got up and I exhorted. I said, Jesus, we invite you to be the center of everything. And somebody corrected me after the service. They were like, he already is the center of everything. I said, yeah, it'd be great if we acted like it. <laughs> right? Because we don't, we don't act like it. So we're not creating something for God that he doesn't already have or doesn't already deserve. We're just yielding and acknowledging what he already deserves, what he already has right to. So the next one was what? The Sabbath. Rest. God's saying, hey, I can handle all of this while you're out of the office. I've got a pretty good resume. I created everything. Right? And nothing's been created without the things that I created. So I can handle this. I got you. And then last week we talked about what? Honor your father and mother. It doesn't mean that mom and dad did everything right, but honoring our father and mother is really more about our relationship with God and honoring the position and the function that he's given our parents than it is, you know, that mom and dad have done everything right, and so we, we give them honor because they, they somehow were perfect parents. I also highlighted that as long as my parents are in this room, I'll refer to them only as perfect. <laughs> So, uh, so here we are in Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 through 15. It'll be on the screen behind me. Three simple verses. Simple to read. <laughs> you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. These are God's words to us. We love you, God. Help us today to understand more of what you desire for us and from us. In Jesus' name, amen. I had to redo my porch um, because it was rotting and falling apart. And in order to change the color of the materials on the porch, we had to submit to our homeowners association and say, this is what we want to do. Here's a drawing. Here are samples. Here are my neighbors who all agree that this is a good idea. And so they invited me to come to an architectural review meeting. That was about as much fun as it sounds like. And so I'm in this architectural review meeting and it, it went, it went okay, but it was, it, one of the guys before me was trying to change his windows out. And so they read from the code and they said, Hey buddy, so code, whatever, whatever, whatever says you shall not do this unless these things, you know, like, and it had this whole list of things. And one of the board members went at great length to explain how it wasn't their fault that they were denying him. It was the code's fault because of the word shall not. Uh, they said, if it said must not or should not or could not or would not, then we've got some wiggle room. But that word shall takes away your wiggle room. And it takes away our wiggle room. And we're not allowed to touch it. But we could touch all the other don'ts. But this don't is concrete. And so they denied him. And then I was scared to death because I was like, oh, here goes my porch. But, uh, but we made it through. Anyway, so, but this word shall not, I mean, I don't care if you translate it as must not, should not. What God is getting to is there's a complete prohibition on this thing. Don't do this. I'm calling you to be a distinct people. 
And he's saying, I remember, we, we agreed on this. I'm going to be your God and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to bless you. And this is what you have to do to be able to receive it. Not much different than my wife saying, I'm going to be your wife. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to, I'm going to share my life with you. But don't act a fool with other women. Completely reasonable. Don't flirt with other women. Don't look at other women. Completely reasonable. Yes, I want the best possible relationship with my wife. So these little, these little boundaries or barriers aren't limitations to greater things, but it's permission to enjoy the things within them. Anyway, that's, here we go. So let's look at this first one. No murder. Our first duty toward our neighbor is to protect one another's lives. After six days of creation, God looked and said, this is very good. And what made it very good? He, the first day he said, it's good. Second day he said, it's good. But after the sixth day, he said, this is very good. Well, his image bearers were there. The ones that he made in his likeness were there. And he looked down and he said, that is very good. And we're like, yeah, it is. I did an incredible job. Look at those people. They're going to carry my name over all the earth. They're going to rule in my name. They're going to take care of the earth in my name. They're going to, they're going to name the animals. They're going to cultivate the ground. They're going to bear, they're going to enjoy the fruit of this thing. This is very good. He said, you can eat of everything you want. Just don't eat of that tree. Because they were people too. They just couldn't avoid that tree. But we're made in the image of God. And when we attack human life, we're attacking the very image of God. And the goal of this command is is to protect and prioritize the sanctity of human life. It's not just not murdering. Later later in in Exodus and in Numbers, God would would build out some, some other layers of understanding of this command and he he would say hey look you know actual murder is done with malice and a level of intentionality but he would make a distinction for manslaughter in exodus chapter 21 for death by misadventure in numbers chapter 35 justifiable homicide in exodus 22 Right, So there would be these other layers. But right now, he wanted to layer in with no one, under no uncertain terms that human life is valuable and significant and should be protected. And so he lays it out there with no qualifiers. With no, no secondary terms unless or must or should or could. But it's you shall not murder. We need to respect life. Jesus ups the ante for us in Matthew chapter 5. And he says that, uh, he says that the real heart of this command is if you hate your brother, if you call your brother worthless, you've already committed adultery. I'm, I'm sorry, that's, a, that's the next one. <laughs> you've already murdered him. You're like, yeah, yeah, keep, let's keep going. So he's like, you've already murdered him. If you've called him worthless, you've already murdered him. 
And to me, that means that if you haven't given value to that man or that woman's life, then you've already, you've already headed in the direction of murdering him. Because you're not giving to him the value that I've given to him. You're not honoring the gift of life that I've given to him. And so God's calling us to cherish and honor life. Now, here's the trick. It's not just in political seasons. I'm not just talking at the ballot box. I'm not just talking about when you hear news or when there's a bombing or when there's, there's been a, a, a mass murder. It's not, it's not those situations. But every single day to value life. To value your life and to value the lives of those around you. To value the lives of those you don't even know. I'm so thankful for, for ministries that exist to feed people that you'll never know. Some of the people in Grace Covenant Church started an organization to, to feed and to care for people who are malnourished. And I think they're in Zimbabwe. Where else are they? Is it still Zimbabwe? Or is it Zambia? Zambia. So they're in Zambia and they, and they, there's this peanut butter product. And, and so by, by sowing into this ministry, you'd be caring for people who are otherwise going to die because they don't have the resources. To value life means to value all life. To give weight to this thing that God has called important. Life is so important that Jesus died so that we could have it. Okay, so, all right, we got to keep moving. So no adultery. You know, it's funny how, (laughs) I just realized one of the reasons he probably said no adultery was to cut down on the temptation for murder. Right, right, right. So, so it's like, he's like, don't murder. I'm going to make it a little easier for you not to murder. Don't commit adultery. And then there'll be less murder, like less desire to do it. Right? Because there's nothing quite as close to a man's life as his marriage. There's nothing quite as close to a woman's life than her marriage. And so the very foundation of our life, the, the very foundation of everything is God himself. He is the foundation of everything. He's the chief cornerstone. And on that, the other things are built. So on top of that, we have marriage. And then from that comes family and community and culture and everything else. So for a community that's going to be distinct to God and distinct to the world, it needs to make sure that it values this most important building block of marriage. And just like the murder thing, this is not just an election year kind of pulpit or or soapbox issue. This is, we ought to value marriage all the time. Last year and all the, all the political things, one of the things that I was hearing was if we, if, if people had taken marriage more seriously on the back end, we would have a we would have a leg to stand on when we're trying to say that it should be between a man and a woman. It's really quiet. Is it because it was political? Because it's hard. Both? We could, It'll get more awkward in a minute. So <laughs> we can just, we, I'm, I'm not scared. Um, when marriage is not held in high regard, everything starts to crumble and fall apart. It is the building block of families. I recently heard about a women's group who decided that, that the world doesn't need men except for procreation. And even then we can do that medically now. So let's just get rid of the men. What? We need to hold marriage in high regard. Here's the concern with that, gentlemen, is that we need to live in such a way that the culture and society and our women go, we need them. You know what feels good to me when my wife's like, I need you 
to open this jar. I don't care what it is. <laughs> open the jar. I need you. You know, like, show me how strong you are on loading those dishes. You know, <laughs> I, I need to be needed by my wife. But, but like, I also have to show her that you can trust me. You can trust me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to surrender my life to honor you. Ephesians says, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and give yourself up for her. What did Christ do? He died for the church. And he died for the church before there was a church. I mean, there was a church, like the universe, yeah, but, but he, before like this was happening under Jesus, there was no church. And so he died so the church could even be birthed through his resurrection. So all I'm saying is, gentlemen, this is the greatest challenge of your life, but let's do it. Let's do it because it's hard. Let's value marriage. We don't, you know, it's one thing to say, like, don't, he said don't commit adultery because there's like a billion things you can do in your marriage. Right? Go out and eat too many nachos. Go out and enjoy going for a walk. Go hike. Go have babies. Have lots of babies. Take care of your babies. Right? Like, enjoy one another. Live with one another. But don't commit adultery for crying out loud. All right. Like, they, we're like, God, these rules are so burdensome. And he's, he's like, I'm trying to take care of you. This isn't just about you and me. This is about you and you. Trying to help you out. Son, when you're hammering this nail, don't hit your hand. Ted, you're out of control. All these rules. I'm going to learn on my own. Okay, hit your hand. We need to respect the bond which family was based. Um... So, so Jesus, again, raised the standard, and here's where I was earlier. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, hey, I'm, you've heard that it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you that any man who looks at a woman with intent to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Zing. And then we all feel awkward. <laughs> because who hasn't? And so he's saying, look, I'm not just after, it's not just a prohibition on intercourse with somebody who's not your wife. This is, I'm calling you into purity. I'm calling you into holiness. I'm giving you a great gift in marriage where two become one. That no man should, no man should separate what God has brought together, this miracle that God is doing. And so we see that God is calling us to a level of purity. This includes what you would see with your eyes online or in movies or other things. You you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is not just a men's issue anymore, but there are some things on the internet that it's just not worth seeing. I'm saying below that one level that we're not talking about right now, there's another level that's just not worth seeing. And sometimes there are movies that we can't go to because the dude's going to run around without his shirt on for three, you know, for three hours. And it's like, maybe I shouldn't watch this because it's tempting. And gentlemen, maybe there's going to be a, a superhero that's uh, a female superhero is running around with barely anything on. Maybe that's not the best movie to be watching. Because it's real hard to enjoy the explosions when, you know, that's going on. Adequately awkward for everyone. I even used alliteration. Adequately awkward. So, so under, underneath impurity, these motives in our heart, then we get into immorality that gets into uh, all, all sorts of, you know, fornication and other things. 
fornication being inclusive of adultery, right? But it, it's it like it it opens up. It's like a babushka doll, right? Those dolls that you open up and inside, 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 inside. At the center of it is impurity. And so it starts there. It starts with having a right motive and my right mindset about my wife. So I starve my eyes for my wife. You know what happens when you starve your eyes for your spouse? Everything is beautiful about your spouse. Right? And so, you know, Megan was able to call me attractive even when I was 60 pounds heavier. Right? But she meant it because her eyes weren't for anyone else. Right? And that's how a man can look at his pregnant wife and be like, I love it. I love your stretch marks. I love those veins. I love those wounds our child is giving you. You with me? Are you seeing it? Like, I want to be, I want to be delicate here, but we got to be honest, right? Like, so we got to starve our eye, but, but before we starve our eyes, we got to starve our heart from that kind of longing for somebody to give us attention. Cause you're walking through the mall and you're like, maybe if I catch somebody's eye, hey, right? You all know it. Pastor Brett talks about the same thing where he's like, he's like, you're looking for somebody to catch eyes with. So you're like, hey, yeah, I still got it. <laughs> right? I, I got it. Oh, yep. Yep. Ah. <laughs> right? But you don't do anything because you're like, oh no, that'd be wrong to like go up and talk to the person. That'd be cheating on my wife. But getting this girl's attention is not wrong. Getting that man's attention is not wrong. What, what, what this is teaching us is that, 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 well, really, more than anything, this is something that's surrendered and committed to God first. And out of my commitment to God, you know, when, I, when we stood at the altar, it was a covenant with God and you. It was a promise to your spouse that I'm going to be faithful to you in the sight of God. And he's going to enable me to do this. So it's not about just don't. And there's such a safety and such a freedom that comes in when it's a safe and preserved in a relationship with boundaries. You know, I don't think she's ever had to check my texts. Have you ever checked? Okay. <laughs> I was wrong. No. <laughs> she, she hasn't had to check the text. Why? Because I was faithful to her even before we got married. So I know like when you're dating someone or when you're engaged, you feel like it's yours, but it's not yours. You ain't one yet. You haven't W-O-N and you haven't, you're not O-N-E yet. Right? You haven't won yet. You got to get to the altar. You need to make that, devo- that, that, that com- covenant, that commitment, that devotion to that person. And so, but the sacrifice starts before you're ever married. So if you're young in here today and you're not quite ready for marriage, you can prepare for marriage by stilling your heart. Allowing God to purify your mind and to purify your intent by learning not to catch everybody's eyes. And just trust God to wake you up at the proper time. That's a reference to Adam and Eve. God put Adam to sleep and then took the rib out, made Adam. And then he's like, hey, wake up, Adam. I got a surprise for you. And Adam woke up and he's like, yes. You know, he's like, woman. You know, that's how that went down. That's, but yeah, so... So, just, just a, so if, if you're dating someone, they're not yours yet. It's very possible, and this is going to make you really awkward if you're dating, but it, it's very possible that it's somebody else's wife. That's the effect I was going for. Thank you. It's very possible that it's somebody else's husband. 
So we ought to be careful. What's great is that there's grace for every area of, well, we'll talk about that later, where we've fallen short. The sin of adultery is a sin against yourself. It's a sin against your spouse or your future spouse. It's a sin against the families, but most importantly, above and beyond anything else, it's a sin against God. Because he is called marriage holy. And he has made it his primary means. It's like the primary uh, metaphor and analogy and word picture. It's because Christ is coming back for a bride. Marriage should be protected, not just because it makes sense on a natural level, but because it's spiritually significant. And it's a picture for all of us to understand the love that Christ has for his church. And it's forgiveness and forbearance, compassion and mercy, patience and kindness, even when we don't deserve it. Now, before you come to any wrong conclusions, um, it's not like, it's not like, you know, when I talk about, when I use a sentence like that and I say a whole lot of synonyms of things that are good, (laughs) fruit of the spirit, kindness and compassion and mercy and forgiveness, it doesn't mean that like, it's like, you know, in our house, it's just like so easy. Like, you know, it's like, hey baby, I'm just here to forgive you. You know, forgiveness always comes hard because the person's giving you a reason that you have to forgive them. It's not like I come in the door and I'm like, baby, I'm ready to love you and serve you and forgive everything that I'm offended about. That'd be a pretty sweet scenario, wouldn't it? But I don't want you to draw a wrong conclusions. So if it feels hard at home to be forgiving and to be compassionate and to be kind and to be forgiving, if you find that difficult, it's because it is difficult. Okay. Skipping was not in my notes. <laughs> so no stealing. My kids came back from a summer camp, and I'm going a little bit long today. I apologize. Uh, no stealing. So my kids came back from a summer camp one time and the, the counselors taught them this phrase, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. And I was like, thank you, camp counselors. <laughs> you know, cause like one kid gets this and it's like, but I want that, you know, and they want to take each other and then all this mayhem unravels and it's just completely chaotic because everybody wants what everybody else has and nobody's satisfied any longer with what they've got. And so I was grateful for it, but there's a, there's a, there's one more level. And so they, they brought my kids from, uh, in, you know, not my kids. Somebody else's kids were like, yeah, <laughs> our kids, somebody else's kids were fighting and like taking people's things. Right. <laughs> and, um, they were like, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Come to here. But the standard that we see in scripture is you, you get what you get and be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. Don't just not throw a fit, but, but recognize that God in his sovereignty and all of his grace and his mercy and his compassion and all of his love, he's given you a certain measure of everything. 
And so instead of being upset that Joe Schmo got a new car or so-and-so got the promotion or so-and-so got this or the house or the better food or looking at their Facebook thread and you're like, they're always doing awesome stuff and I'm not, I don't have money for awesome stuff. Instead of being so, so bent out of shape about what other people have, pause and be thankful for what you do have. Because now we've moved into this area of property and God's like, so we've talked about, we've talked about murder, don't kill each other. We've talked about this second relationship, marriage. Don't take each other's wives. And and now he's like, don't take each other's stuff. I know it sounds basic, right? Why do we hate it so much? I want to be jealous. (laughs) Really? Like, I just, I want to be envious. And maybe it's not things. Maybe what you're envious or jealous of is like of a higher order. And so your jealousy and envy is like better. Right? Like I've been jealous of such things as holy as another church's growth. Like somebody ooed. Like, Pastor, you crossed the line. <laughs> that Maserati, you talk about a Maserati, it's fine. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't you dare. Right? But we do, don't we? I just want the marriage they have. That's why we steal it. That's the adultery thing. It's really about finding contentment in what God has provided. Because the real trouble with theft, more than any sociological issues, which come when people don't respect one another's property, which are real and troubling and damaging, is, is that it's disrespecting the fact that God has given that to them. And it's disrespecting what God has given to you. So what becomes possible if God's people decided to hold life in high regard every day? To hold life in high regard if we acknowledge that to call somebody worthless would be to murder them? The The opposite of that. Remember, there's all sorts of things we can do so what if we give value to one another? Right? What if I look at what if I look at you, Reese, and I say you have value, Andrew? You have value in the kingdom, JC. You have value, and I'm committed to helping you find that value and walk in that value. Justin, you have value. Mark, you have value. Nikki, you have value. Aaron, you have value. Katie Moyer, that's not how you say her name. You have value. I changed how you say her last name. But if you give value and you give weight to to people's lives and you give value and weight to the life of the gift of God, what starts to change? What changes if we give value to marriage? If we honor the marriage bed and we honor marriage before marriage? We don't, you know, I know purity ceremonies and that sort of thing have get a lot of flack in the press and in other places. But what about the value of painting a picture for a young man to grow up and be a husband who loves his wife and is faithful and has a family that serves under God? Well, how about that value? Instead of just getting really excited when they have their first crush, helping your kid understand that marriage is, uh, dating is for marriage. Not by instituting a whole lot of rules, but by, by letting them taste the value and see the, the beauty 
of a marriage that's surrendered to the purposes and the will of God. What happens if we honor what God has given other people and we celebrate that? What happens if we find contentment with what God's given us? I know that's, that one's not as exciting as the other ones because you're like, so I've got to be content with what he's given me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And not just content when you think that what he gave you is better than he gave somebody else. <laughs> See, I'm, 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 I'm like, how would I have heard that? <laughs> I'll find contentment when God has given me better things than he's given other people. Right? Anybody else play those games? Nope. Just the pastor. Nobody raised their hand. We distinguish ourselves with giving value to life, honoring marriage, celebrating God's provision and trusting in his future provision. We'll be a distinct people. And that's the kind of people I want to be with anyway. It's safe. You can talk to my wife in the hallway. I don't have to worry about trying not to murder you. I can let you watch my house and I'm not worried that, you know, I'm going to come home and the couch is going to be gone. We can have 180 over and we're not, we're not afraid that the computer's going to walk. You know, right? I mean, this is like, we'd have them over, but they might take our stuff. It's pretty great, isn't it? And what's, what's funny is these aren't just values of a previous era of an ancient people. And they were like, we decided that this is best. This came from outside of time. It's so simple that you know it didn't come from us. It's so clear, you know it didn't come from man. But God came from outside of time and came down and said, this is, you're going to look distinct. If, if you honor me, you don't worship wood and ivory and other images of me, things that are from nature. You don't carve them into things and worship them. Isn't that funny that that would be the thing that would make people distinct? That we're not worshiping trees. I'm just saying that's funny to me. Um, you know, that you wouldn't, that you would hold this one who created everything in high regard. That you would rest. Because everybody else is going to be striving and he's saying, take a break. These things make us distinct. That we would honor our father and mother, the ones that gave us life and kept us alive. That we would honor them. This came from outside of our values. This came from outside of, of human reason and human and thought. And we know this because when the Ten Commandments came down the hill, when Moses brought it to them, they were having the most rowdy party. It sounded like war. The party was so bad that Moses thought there was a war occurring at the base of the mountain. That's how hard they were partying. And that's how much these are not a reflection of ancient cultures. Ancient cultures were more like us than like these, which is why these were given. All right, so I think if you're people too, we have an opportunity to repent. I think if, if you're people too, let me just talk about me. I know I failed at every point of these three. Right? I've fallen short of the standard. I joke about the fact that they're completely reasonable, but it's also completely impossible to not have failed. 
And what's beautiful about the gospel is that God sees us in our weakness and he sees us in our striving and he says, at every point where you failed, I succeeded. Your relationship is not dependent. Your relationship with me, your eternal life, your significance, your life isn't dependent on how well you performed. But it's that I did it on your behalf. And if you would surrender your will to me and let me have lived for you, then it's like you've done it yourself. It's like he was the first person in at Walmart on Black Friday. (laughs) Waited in line for days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks. Ironic to use a material possession example. And he's like, you come to me and it's like you were the first one in. Come to me, it's like you never even faltered. Because I strived for holiness and I won. And so when we repent, it's not just, God, I'm sorry I messed up and I fell. It's, God, I'm, I, I failed at these points, but you succeeded. And I choose to live in your victory instead of my own. I surrender my life to you.